X Factor. Do just some people have it? What is it? And how is it that those people have it are able to harness it, use it, amplify it in the work that they do? I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to exploring what does it take to live boldly, to unlock our X Factor, even when we're nervous, even when we're uncertain. Yamini Nadu is, and I love this description, a Bollywood dancing economist business storyteller. And she will tell us a little bit about what that means and what happens at the intersection between these three elements. She has a deep belief that storytelling, particularly in business, is critical for engagement, motivation and connection. And in fact, all of us can be storytellers because the truth is we remember the stories that we hear more than the memo or the data that we're being told. One of the ways to be a better storyteller is to unleash and to tap into your own X factor. And yes, hint, Yamini believes that all of us have an X factor and we can work on uncovering what it is. Yours will be unique, hence that's why it's an X factor. You're not borrowing someone else's, but you can work on that. Yamini's has something to do with Bollywood dancing, but unpacking your own X Factor is going to take some work. In this conversation, Yamini shares the intersection of where to find your own X Factor. It starts with going inward before we start to consider who are the people we want to influence, support, maybe collaborate with, be a part of who our audience is. This is an extraordinary conversation. I would encourage you to sit in that unrest that might be saying, but this isn't for me. This is for other people because Yamini's message is for all of us. So soak it up and enjoy the storytelling X Factor creating wisdom that is Yamini Nadu. Yamini, I am excited to be chatting with you. Thank you so much, Alison. We're going to be talking all things storytelling, X Factor, but before we do, you have a story of your own. You are a Bollywood dancing economist, business storyteller. <laughs> Talk to me about the intersection between these elements. Oh, thank you so much, Alison, and more welcome um, to our listeners as well. Uh, that's right. I'm the world's only economist turned Bollywood dancing business storyteller. And that's literally my X factor. So about 15 years ago, I used to say I'm a business storyteller. And that took a lot of courage. And then I realized I'm also an economist turned business storyteller. And the Bollywood piece I've only added in the last three years. So all of those things um, just help me stand out. But they help me make my sessions quite unique, quite fun for my audience, really engaging and memorable. Bollywood dancing, have you been doing that for a few years? Or is that something that's been part of you for a while? For a while, so I've danced in, you know, amateur dance crews and I've been part of a dance company, all of that. But mm. uh, I just love it. It's our hobby. We do it at weddings, we do it at home. So a chorus in a Bollywood song will have a hook step. So it's a step that sort of everybody knows. So we, most of us, we play a song, we'll know the hook step. If it's a popular song mm-hmm. um, at parties and weddings, we'll do a spoof of it, Alice, and we can do like a spoof of it because we know the step so well. Uh, so definitely it's part of my DNA. I grew up in Bombay, India. So I grew up with a love of cinema, a love of film. And perhaps that's where my storytelling love is born as well, but also of the color and the dance. And it's so wonderful we're having this conversation because just last week, uh, an Indian film, they they won best best song. So Natu Natu, which is Telugu, they won best song. And people got to see, get to experience Indian cinema on stage live at the Oscars. Really bringing Bollywood yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to all of us. Tell me what brought you to Australia? 
Oh, love. So I moved to Australia many years ago in the 90s when I moved for love. And uh, luckily it worked out and I'm still with my partner all these years later. So, yeah. So he's from Melbourne, Australia. So that's why I moved. And Australia was very different in the 90s. I don't know if our audience remembers the 90s. You know, high-waisted jeans, the internet made a noise. I love. But you never <laughs> lost your phone because it was connected to the wall. I remember when I first came to Melbourne, I was really surprised because everything used to shut so early at five or six in the evening. And it's wonderful seeing the change of the city and how we've become a truly, you know, a global city, one of the best places mm. in the world. Um, I love it here. I would never live anywhere else. And what drew you to storytelling? You mentioned before <laughs> yeah. around, you know, storytelling's been part and parcel of you growing up, but what, what drew you to want to explore storytelling even more? Yeah. As you know, Ali, I'm an economist. So I used to always be frustrated by why data doesn't persuade people. You know, as an economist, you go, there's the data, there's the logic. And about 50, so I'm talking 15 years ago, somebody gave me a book. And it's uh, Stephen Denning's book, and it's called The Leader's Guide to Storytelling. And just seeing the word leader and storytelling in a sentence just fried my brain. But I was so hungry for answers that I devoured the book on the long flight. And when I got off, I rang so many leaders I knew, and I asked them. And they all said two things. They said, we know good leaders tell stories, but we don't know how to. So I was determined to learn, and nobody was teaching it anywhere in the world. At that time, there was the book that Denning had written, and there was an HBR article that he had also written. And so often, as you know, the best way to learn something is to teach it. So that brief premise, I co-founded Australia's first company, just dedicated to storytelling. And I remember about 18 months was spent just educating the market because people would go, storytelling, how can you storytell in business? But within 30 days, National Australia Bank was our first client because their leadership team had come back from America and they uh, had heard about storytelling. And when they Googled, they only found one company that offered it and that was us. So uh, that's, that's where it started. And I've always wanted to work for myself. So that was a beautiful niche um, that I loved and it's just grown ever since. And it's soul it's my soul work you know I love it it's such a joy and a privilege to hear help clients find their stories craft them and share them and just see how they light up one of the things about storytelling can be this sense of and I love that it was something that sparked in you and you went exploring but there can be a bit of a sense you are either good at it or you're not good at it you are a storyteller or you're not it's in your DNA what's your counter to that Oh my God, that's the myth of the natural born storyteller. Time to bust it right here and now. There's, <laughs> there's no such thing. Anyone who seems or appears good at it has probably been practicing for many years. And they've grown good at it. Many years ago, we had the opportunity to interview John Stewart, who was then the CEO of National Australia Bank. And we asked him, we said, John, people tell us you're a natural storyteller. And he said, my most ad-libbed stories have been practiced for hours in front of the mirror. Mm. So he immediately put to rest. There's no such thing. Storytelling is a skill. And just like every other skill, it can be taught and learned. I find we put ourselves under pressure because we think a story is to be a big thing. It has to be about scaling Mount Everest, sailing the world solo. But it doesn't. In business, I find with my clients, the best results are achieved when they use everyday relatable stories dropping their kids off to school or shopping at Bunnings or starting year seven in a new town. Those are small, everyday, relatable experiences that just draw your audience in and create deep connection. I can see and understand the power of that for 
presenters for professionals. But a big part of your work is actually working with leaders around storytelling. Yeah. What's the value of storytelling for leaders? What, why would it be useful for, for them to be able to have access to that? Uh, so you're right. People often think storytelling quite narrowly. They think, oh, yeah, absolutely, you know, presenters tell stories. And then when they learn the craft of storytelling, they realize it can be applied across all businesses. So for a leader, every time you're trying to shift behavior or you're trying to have impact, a story will help you. So just using data is like pushing uphill. So all of data is like Teflon. It's non-stick. People don't remember it. But a story is Velcro. So it'll stick in your audience's brains. I'll give you an example. One of my clients, Bernadette Iskander, was leading a large team in insurance. And her team was very, very good at what they did. But they were very efficient, process-driven, black and white. You know, they would just punch through stuff. And she felt she wanted her team to think differently about customer service. She wanted them to sometimes take a step back and pause and give the customers a second chance. So that was her message. So these are the gray areas in business and leadership uh, where a story can really help you. And so this is the story she shared with her audience. She said, a few weeks ago, my little five-year-old niece, Maya, came tearing into the house holding an apple in each hand. And I thought, this is a good time. I'm going to teach Maya how to share. I said, Maya, can I please have one of your apples? She quickly took a bite out of the apple in her right hand and quickly took a bite out of the apple in her left hand. I was shocked. But before I could say anything, she reached out with the apple in her left hand. And she said, Auntie, have this one. It's sweeter. I'm sharing this with you because every day we have that same opportunity with our customers. We can jump to conclusions. But every time we take a step back and pause, Imagine the difference we can make. So that's an example of a story where you're trying to get your team, you're inspiring your team to shift behavior. Uh, so absolutely a business skill that can be used in every context, in addition to everything you're using. So people quite often get worried. They have a binary view. They think, oh, but, you know, I'm pitching to the boat. They only like data. Absolutely use data. But in addition, if you tell a handful of stories, the two together are very powerful. Because there are those that go, but the data is proof. The data is important. I love that kind of almost juxtaposition of combining the data with the stories. So we have busted the myth that like everyone can be and a natural storyteller is someone who has practised, who has heard stories and heard themselves say it time and time again. There can still be a sense of, as you say, I don't have any stories, yeah. I haven't done those things or, you know, can I just borrow that Apple story because that was remarkable and <laughs> I can't possibly <laughs> think of anything better than that. <laughs> so we borrow stories. Where yeah. would you recommend someone start? Oh, they're just their everyday experiences. So if you make a list of, I've, and um, uh, Ali, this is something we can put in the show notes. I've got like 101 story ideas, which are just prompts. There was a wonderful experiment done by Trent Dalton. He's the author of um, A Boy Who Swallowed the Universe. So a lot of you might know the books. It's a very, very dark uh, childhood. And he came out of that and wrote this best-selling book. So in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, he set up with an old-fashioned Olivetti typewriter in a busy street intersection in Brisbane with a sign, the really daggy sign that said, writer looking for love stories. 
And so many people would just stop. So he was set up with a in an armchair with this typewriter and another armchair next to him, an empty armchair. So many people would sit down and they'd go, no, no, I don't have a love story. And then they would just talk and then they would go deep. And he found everyone had a yarn. Mm. Everyone had, you know, beautiful kind of story to share about love and loss. And he's ended up publishing it all as called Love Stories. And I'm sharing this with you because he's sort of proven that once you take away that uh, moniker that a story is to be a big thing, a story is just something personal, a personal experience you've had from which you've learned something. And his book is rich, everyday people just sharing stories about love in this instance. So absolutely, I want to, you know, assure everybody that if you start to map out your life and you think of all the experiences you've had at different ages. So I often get my clients to do up a timeline from early childhood to, to now and to put bullet points, you know, what were some key experiences you've had? And then each one of those we could take and we can shape into a story. Just when you were 18, I think the most number of stories, maybe not all of them appropriate for work. <laughs> uh, but we tell those stories, right? We find places. So it's really then yeah. just finding the connection to a learning, yeah. to to a message yeah. that might be in the moment. Trent Dalton's book, Love Stories, is one of my most favourite. And, and oh, I think that... It's so beautiful, So beautiful. It? And the collection of stories yeah. for those that maybe haven't come across it is remarkable because often we think of love in terms of romantic or family love but some of the I think there's one story in there where a young fellow shares about his love of wearing pajamas and (laughs) it's extraordinary and yeah it's such a warm fuzzy mm. you want to reach out and hug hug him and hug the book (laughs) no it's such a warm fuzzy yeah but that call Uh, to mining the stories that we have in our life or even finding the timelines around what what are those things and those moments that have happened in your life you not only have really explored and continue to explore the world of storytelling you have recently produced and published and written your seventh book around the x factor which is remarkable congratulations (laughs) but it's called the x factor (laughs) thank you so much unleash your presenting superpower superpower what is (laughs) thank you the x factor (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Ta-da>. <laughs> Yay, I'm holding it up <laughs> for the video. In 2020, I was at our professional speaking convention, Professional Speakers Association, our convention, and Vin Gian, whom some of you might know, he's like an amazing human being, a fabulous keynote speaker, a magician. He just said, off, sort of off the cuff, he said, every presentation or keynote should be made up of 30% content. And most people have this, we're all experts. 30% delivery. Because delivery creates that audience experience. Mm. And 30% inspiration, which is storytelling and humor. Now, I teach both storytelling and humor. And we were like, hooray, yay. And we're already at 90%. And, you know, when asked a room full of speakers, he said, what do you think makes up the remaining 10%? And people guess emotion, energy, audience bribes. That remaining 10% is X factor. And Vin pretty much left it at that. But his words just struck a chord with me. Because don't forget, I'm Indian. So 90% of report cards is not <laughs> We could never go home with just 90% on our report cards. Our mum would go like, where is the remaining 10%? How will your father show his face in the fish market? <laughs> what did you get wrong and how can we improve it? I know. That's right. That's right. Very different style to, 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 to us now. Um, so I was, I was uh, and I was immediately stumped because I've been speaking for like over 15 years. And I was thinking, what is my X factor? And then your fears start to circle like a pack of wolves because you think, you know, what is my X factor? What if I don't have one? Yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. And I want our audience now to take a deep breath because my research was reassuring and compelling. Everyone has X-factor potential. And it's so sad that most people go through their lives without ever discovering their X-factor or even believing they have it. And we're so lucky as leaders, as you know, people listening to Ali's podcast, our work demands, our work invites this exploration. When I discovered Ali, what was holding us back was a very narrow, myopic, conventional view of X-Factor. We think of the TV show. No, it's not the TV mm. show. We think it's, you know, it's razzle-dazzle, it's shiny teeth, it's sequins, it's charisma, it's bigger than Ben-Hur. And I realized that it's none of those things. It doesn't have to be. X-Factor lives on a continuum. So it could be small, it could be intermeshed. X-Factor is created at the intersections. You've got to imagine an X at the intersection of purpose. What is the purpose behind this? So for me, it's I want my message to resonate with the audience. Of value, does this add value to your audience, to your organization, to the presentation? The third intersection is service. Is this in service of your audience? And the fourth is uniqueness. What is something unique you can bring? So everybody can find their X at this intersection of purpose, value, service, and uniqueness. So I talk about a modern X factor. So I, you know, get people to let go of the past myopic narrow view of showbiz and all of that shiny tea, shaking your tail feather, very, very irrelevant. <laughs> Don't I have to learn how to juggle with my <laughs> Just my big toes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So don't don't mm. think of it as performative X Factor. I think of Jacinta Ardern, the ex-Prime Minister of New Zealand. She was so warm, relatable. She connected with people on a human level. That was her X Factor. So unless you're a Cirque du Soleil performer, and a shout out to all the Cirque du Soleil performers <laughs> listening to us, your X Factor doesn't have to be big. So I think this was the biggest shift in, you know, my research, working with clients, my experience at the cold face, my reading, and my developing the IP, that there is a modern X factor and it's available to all of us. I really love that sense of the the intersection between purpose, value, service, and uniqueness, how they come together. For that very first one, purpose, if we were to just do that as a bit of a jumping off point. Again, for some people, or there can be times in our life where that can be uncertain, particularly when the world around us is uncertain as well. What's the starting point? Where do you, and how do we make sure that that purpose is something that is actually something I'm interested in, as opposed to trying to find something that sounds good (laughs) or would be, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like trying to find what others think we should be saying. Yeah, or something that's popular mm. or jumping on bandwagons. In the book, I find you've got to really hold people in a space with X-Factor because it's so large. And everything about X-Factor is slightly counterintuitive. Mm. So with purpose, I talk about narrowing your scope to a presentation. So think of a single presentation that's coming up for you because that's a starting point with purpose because otherwise we're going to be trying to solve world hunger. Mm. So instead, I'm saying go down to you know trying to solve hunger for one child. So with purpose, so say for one of my presentations, I would go, my purpose is to make my message resonate with an audience, which is why I I want them to remember a few key points after my presentation, which is why those key points I do through some Bollywood dancing, because, you know, kinesthetic learning, it anchors it in their body. So I think don't don't make purpose huge. Don't make it something insurmountable or sexy, because then you're going to go down a deep rabbit hole. You can do that 
another time. But right now, if you're working on your X Factor, think of a presentation or of you as a presenter. What would be the purpose of you introducing X Factor into your next presentation? Uh, so that really gives you a scope. So this time I really want to scope you down. Mm. I want to narrow the scope and that's a really good starting place. Mm, what's my intention? What's my um, sense of yeah. why am I doing this? If I even go back one step and then I'd love to, we can look at some of the other myths that we have around kind of X factor and some of those potentials. But even that word presentation or presenting often can be, there might be people listening going, but I don't do presentations I might have to speak or I might you know I've got a I've got a meeting but I'm not mm. a presenter when you talk about mm. presenting what's some of the contexts that you've worked with with clients what are some of the contexts where having an x factor would be of value across the board in business so whenever you're trying to communicate or connect with people whether it's one person uh, across having a coffee or two, three people in a Zoom meeting or, you know, in a larger town hall, all of those contexts, having an X Factor will help you. So no matter what we do, even if we don't formally present, we're always showing up, we're always trying to influence, we're trying to ideate with other people, we're trying to have our ideas heard, we're trying to advocate, uh, we're trying to shift behaviours, we're trying to do all these things at work. Uh, and in any one of those contexts, having an X Factor will help you for sure. That whether you're influencing an idea, a strategy, a concept, uh, a client. Or even having your voice heard, like, you know, in a dynamic meeting room with lots of large personalities, having X Factor will help you have your voice heard because perhaps the way you package an idea. So maybe your X Factor is you have a fabulous way of working with models or you're really good with numbers. You can just do numbers off the cuff of your sleeve, mm. of your hand. So all of those can be your X Factor and it can really help you uh, be heard, have your voice heard in complex contexts. We talked about the myth of um, X factors, not something you either have or you don't have, but through your research it is something that a bit like storytelling, a skill that you can hone and develop. Are there any other myths that you came across in your research? People always worry that they're too young or too old for X factor. And I want to assure them that um, it's appropriate for you, whether you're early career, mid-career, late career and even post career. There's a wonderful 83-year-old Japanese gentleman, Honori is his first name, who sailed around the world solo and he still feels his whole life is ahead of him. So if he if he has that mindset, then it's a wonderful invitation to all of us. The other thing that people are worried about is what I call the Simon Cowell effect. Uh, anyone who's watched mm. X Factor knows that quite often there's a contestant there who comes in and who can't sing. And within a minute, you know, the judges, usually Simon Cole, just stops them and says, who, to who told you you could sing? And the person says, oh, my friends and family always tell me I can sing. And Simon Cowell usually says, that, go home and tell them they're wrong. <laughs> you know, And the person, the, the contestant just sulks away. So it's it's very cringy, and, but it makes for great television. So we're always worried about being judged. Mm about saying, oh my God, if I suddenly, you know, have X Factor, I mean, I try to be funny and I'm not, or I try to be, you know, relatable and I'm not. So, so I want to assure you that in the book, I show you elegant ways of showing up in ways that are authentic to who you are. So I'm not talking about a whole person makeover. Uh, all of you is fine. It's just trying to go deep and go intimate and find parts of you that you're happy to share. So in the unique part of the X Factor intersection, so talk about things, talk about having fun with your X Factor. So don't treat it all as, you know, earnest and serious. 
that's why Bollywood just lights me up. Uh, last, yeah. <laughs> I last year I did a LinkedIn post, um, Ali, where I took a photo just after I finished Bollywood dancing. And you know how when you post about events, you really don't get a lot of engagement. But this time I did, I got a lot of comments because people were just saying how happy I looked. And it's because I've just shared something I love. The audience loved it. So it's lit us all up. And people can see that, you know, in a link, even in a LinkedIn post. So in that unique part of the intersection, mm-hmm. it's got to be fun. It's got to be authentic. So in the book and in my work, I get people to go through their history and heritage, their hobbies, their interesting facts, your nerdy bits, because all these can feed and inform your X factor. It has to be congruent with who you are. Uh, so you've got to be that same person often on stage, which is why you have to go deep. So most of life, we're looking outwards. So the X factor, we're actually going inwards. And the last thing I talk about is have some swag. You know, own it. Once you find it, just own it. So so those are the things that really set it apart. And hopefully they help people address some of the barriers. There's something incredibly contagious about it. No, no doubt that's probably <laughs> yeah. what people saw in your post when you talk about an 83-year-old that is sailing. There's something contagious yeah. around part of us that goes, oh, I want to be like that when I grow up, <laughs> I when I um, step into that. I think it's so important what you touched on around the Simon Cowell of effect, the fear that holds people back of judgment, yeah. of sh- deep shame, because we have had moments where we've felt ashamed or we have, haven't quite lived up to our own you know, standard of uniqueness or, you know, what's, what's possible for me, but I just... I didn't quite hit the mark in that moment. Sometimes we do have people around us who tell us that, hey, maybe that's not your strength or that's not your thing or just actually you're a bit crap at that. (laughs) If some of those scars are in place for people, what would be your advice or how would you navigate around some of that? I talk about sukha, S-U-K-H-A, which is joy. Um, Sukha being your guide when you pick your X factor, because then that just keeps you safe. So there are some trigger warnings in my book about how you can stay safe, look after your mental health and share what you're comfortable sharing. And then slowly, your X factor is not going to emerge fully formed in your prefrontal cortex, you know, much as we want it. You can't think your way to your X factor. It's quite primal. So it resides in your gut. It's probably already there. And it's going to emerge through instinct, insight and intuition. So as I talk about how you can keep yourself safe while trying to find that, and just start small, Ali. There's a wonderful book called This Working Life by Lisa Leong and one other author. And they talk about you don't have to go the whole hog. You can go the quarter hog. So with X Factor, what would that look like? So we always feel, you know how you know somebody who joins a gym and then they stop drinking completely and they eat 100% protein and they go completely crazy and they do it for 90 days and then they drop off the bandwagon because it's just too hard, Mm -hmm. which is why this whole idea of quarter hogging. So what would quarter hogging look like for you with your X factor? Start with with your strongest bit and then it'll slowly evolve. But having said that, one of your quirks or your nerdy bits, not necessarily your scars, can really work. So Tracy Isad, whom you might know, is um, she's a keynote speaker and an author and a, a wonderful human being. Her X factor statement. So this is her statement. So what I do is I help people craft a statement because I find that gives you one way of expressing your X factor. Because X factor is notoriously quite hard to pin down because it could be you know, a word, a quality, a, a feeling, a vibe. So I find a statement. That's what mine is. Mine is a statement. The world's only economist turned Bollywood dancing business storyteller. Mm-hmm. Tracy's statement is X recorder player 
Harley Davidson bike rider, ferocious warmth leader. A statement's usually made up of three elements. An X-recorder player is just so warm, it's relatable, it's surprising and delightful. Would you say Ali, we're both X-recorder players? Like, who isn't? (laughs) Who isn't? But that's what makes the statement genius, because we never think to use Mm. it. We think, oh, that's embarrassing. But it's actually funny, warm and relatable Mm. in this context. And then notice the sharp contrast of Harley Davidson bike rider. That's such a strong century word. You can imagine her roaring through the streets, you know, and her Harley. And also it immediately restores her credibility. You know, it's aspirational. So you always want a word that's warm in your X-factor statement. You want a word that's aspirational. And then you want something that's inspirational. So in this case, ferocious warmth leader. This is Tracy's own IP. She's written the book. She's built a platform mm-hmm. around it. So then she brings it home and lands it on where her audience is. What I've shared with you, and it's in my book, is a gold case mm. study. You know, it's like the gold standard. You don't have to start there. Just start start small, start where you're at. And James Clear, who's the author of Atomic Habits, says, successful people start before they're ready. Successful people start before they're ready. So 15 years ago, I used to do Bollywood dancing just as a throwaway energizer. And conference organizers used to love it because it gave them great footage, you know, people laughing and having a good time. And about seven years ago, I started using it as a speaking point. So I would demo some speaking content through Bollywood dancing. And only in the last three years, I've started using it as a teaching point. So it slowly emerged, evolved, and it's got deeper and richer over time. Is some of that part of you evolving as well? So where like there's that sense of not only that's part of your X factor, but is, you know, your own expertise, your own expression starts to change through different stages of your own life. Is that part of kind of the evolution of your X factor? Absolutely. And absolutely. And you also get the confidence to start to go deeper, to share Mm -hmm. more, to be more vulnerable. Uh, to be richer. I always say the first thing you have to do with X Factor is, and I'll get your audience, if they're listening, if they're not driving and it's safe to do this, to take their right hand, put it on their left shoulder. Take your left hand, put it on your right shoulder. Give yourselves a hug. And when you move the hug out, it's an X. And when you move it back, it's a hug. So the first place we go to look for our X Factor is through grace, by being kind to ourselves and allowing that slow unfolding of time. What stops people from exploring their own X factor? Uh, the biggest myth is, you know, that it's uh, it's for a handful of people. You're born with it or you're mm-hmm. not. And I completely destroy, smash all those myths to smithereens in the first chapter of my book. So once you realize you've got X factor potential, the next thing is then the fear of will it be good enough? Anything you do will be better than where you're at today. So any start you make will be will be fresh, will be creative, will re-energize you and your audiences. And the third fear we have is uh, how, how can I do it? You know, even with storytelling. So actually give people a process and some structure and out of that will drop your X factor statement. In terms of doing the work and maybe exploring that statement for ourselves, <laughs> that kind of ex-recorder player, we might have people listening who are current recorder players. I, they might have your... <laughs> and we want to honour them. Absolutely. We want to honour them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, part of what we've talked about and some of those beautiful examples are people who do this as a profession. Where else have you seen amazing people, I guess, apply or use their X factor for for intent? Sure. So, yeah, one of the other examples of my book is Kath Walters, who's like a best-selling business book coach. 
and her X Factor statements after she worked with me in the processes Bike Partnered, Stillwater Kayaker, and Power Napper. Bike Partnered, what's happened with Kath is now with Bike Partnered, it's become a metaphor for her. So she uses it all the way through her practice. Every time she's trying to explain a complex idea, she resorts to that metaphor and she uses a version of it. Like everyone's, you know, a lot of people are bike nerds and cycle, path, cycle but I've never met somebody who's a bike path nerd. So even her stories would be about, you know, specific bike paths and the challenges and overcoming them. Uh, and she's found that a really powerful, powerful way of connecting with her audience as a coach, mm-hmm. as a business writing coach. But what's also happened to her is in the book, I get people to then <clears throat> extend out their X factor to think at its at its maximum, if you quantum leap, what it, what would it look like? And and the thing that emerged for Kath was she said, my vision for the future is a six-lane bike path freeway. So freeway with six bike mm. lanes. And she's actually speaking to people about it and, and trying to see, you know, what's possible over there. So all this dropped out of just from that one X-factor statement. So it's, it's changed a possibility of what's the future of our cities and what's possible for the future of our cities. I hope the first one is named after her. <laughs> yeah, it should be, shouldn't it? The first freeway that's got six bike parts. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. terms of the intersections, so we've talked about, and I love that kind of sense of grace, being kind to yourself, quarter hog it, don't whole hog it. <laughs> Take your time. One of those intersections is around service. So once yes. we go go from in and start to look at outwards. Where would you recommend people start in terms of that exploration of contribution or service? Um, It's so fascinating you ask this because everything about X Factor runs counterintuitive. In 99.9% of business, we always start by considering our audience. Mm. But in X Factor, when I get people to start working with their X Factor, I get them to completely discard any audience Because what happens if we start with audience in mind, we self-censor. We start to curate our X factor too finely because we think, oh, but you know, this audience won't like it. Or what about the CEOs? What about the board? And then we end up with something that's very diluted or you end up with just jargon, you know, stuff that people use in business all the time, out of the box thinker, thought leader, all of that. We don't want any of that. So I get people through the process to find their purest X factor form. So it's like diving deep into the river. You come up with pure gold. And that is what even my statement is. It's my X Factor statement in its purest form. But doesn't mean I use that completely every time with every audience. So this is when the service idea comes in. So for some of my audiences, they want the whole hog. They want economists, they want business storytelling, they want Bollywood dancing. And that's great. Some of my audiences just want the economist turned business storyteller. And I always check with the organizers. I say, is it okay if I teach some content through Bollywood? And most of the times the answer is, of course, go for it. And sometimes it's no, not really. It's not appropriate for whatever reason. And that's fine too. We always respect the audience. And some of my clients just want business storyteller. They don't even care about economists turned. Uh, So this is when we curate in service of our audience. So like, I love Bollywood, but that doesn't mean I just turn up every time and just do it. (laughs) Because Mm. I love it. I'm having a good time. So find your X factor in its purest form. And then consider, once you've got it, then we can dice it and play, play play differently for different audiences. Is this one of the ways, and I think it's probably going to be yes, but I'd love you to kind of talk on it. Where So what's coming to mind as I'm hearing you say that is almost that kind of fear of what if I kind of find my thing, but it goes, it starts to go down that path of being corny or too much, too over the top. <laughs> like I've, I've mentioned the, you know, 
past recorder way too much time and people are starting to roll their <laughs> eyes now where it's where it has become yeah, yeah. Um, almost counter to what you're trying to to achieve you're sort of known for it in a way yeah. that people kind of go oh god here we go become a become a cliche <laughs> is probably the fear yeah. is that is that a real fear or is that just a <laughs> Uh, a couple a couple of things, a couple of solutions. Like you can end up with several X-factor statements. So even Kat Walters, I've got a couple of hers in the mm-hmm. book. Um, so depending, again, on audience and purpose, you could use a different X-factor statement. What I don't like is if people put every bit of their X-factor, they write up a whole paragraph because that doesn't mm-hmm. work. So it's very important to have the discipline of a statement that marries three elements that represents you. So all the statements I've shared, you notice do that. They've got three elements that represent you or expresses a version of you that's distinctive and desirable. So absolutely, you know, you can keep it fresh. And don't forget, the other thing, X Factor is never a static thing. It keeps evolving and growing. To your point earlier, Ali, where you said, you know, does it change as you get old, you know, as you experiences get richer? It absolutely does. And it should. Because you, you might start off at the shallow end and then, you know, each step that you make towards that right direction of going deeper and more intimate will give you a richer, more distinctive, more desirable X factor. But uh, it's, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly growing and it changes depending on your audience and you curate it as well, depending on your audience. And I invite people to have several different X factor statements. What I do suggest, though, very, very strongly, and I'm, this is the only thing I'm like, you know, a draconian about is in the book, I've got a... 100 plus banned x-factor words and these are words like you know just think of popular words that we use all the time in business you know speaker author coach educator thought leader out of the box thinker radical innovator all of those are banned because normally in my professional life i describe myself i'm an author speaker Mm. educator if i put that into google i get over 250 million Mm -hmm. hits so it's simply not unique or distinctive enough to feature in any x-factor statement so i encourage people keep using that in you know most of your life but when you're thinking of your X factor, it's got to be distinctive. It's got to be desirable. It's got to be individual, memorable, original, all of those mm, I think that's such a great point. It's almost those those things are a category uh, as opposed to anything about who you are, your uniqueness, value. That's right, yeah. But we've all latched on to them, mm. haven't we? They're like our, our safety, our rafts in a big ocean of choices. <laughs> yes, know? yeah. And in a corporate world or in your in your kind of workplace, it can be accountant, it can be CEO, it can be yeah. those yeah. sort of things yeah. that in so many ways. Uh, titles, yeah. They're titles, yeah. but we've woven them into our identity. They're the very fabric of our identity, yeah. And all titles are banned in my so I've just written all titles back because yes. <laughs> yeah. you can't obviously list every title. So <laughs> so that there's a stretch in that, you know, I think that's both exciting and scary to actually go, okay, if they are banned, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, uh, you've got to dive in, dive in even deeper. There's a real parallel to what you're talking about, Yamini, and creativity to, to mm. be kind of tap into that kind of sense of creativity. And, again, I think... Creativity, a lot of people carry those kind of creative scars. We weren't very good at art. We were told so. We were, you know, don't give up your day job (laughs) comes part of (laughs) that sort of stuff as well. And what I'm hearing you say is that this is something you continue to work on. So whilst you might come up with your statement or something that kind of sits on but it's something that you continue to work on, what's a – you might have another word for this, but the word habit is coming to mind. What's that encouragement of yeah. action that you would, you know, encourage people to do to A, 
be okay with their creativity but to also to continue to dive in and develop and explore? Uh, two things. I suggest start collecting your personal stories. You know, um, imagine you're on the Australian TV show, Who Do You Think You Are? And if, you know, if your parents, grandparents, relatives, start to interview and collect your personal stories, you'll find a lot of richness comes out of that. So in the book, there's a process. And the first of those is history and heritage. Uh, so I give people a whole lot of questions that draw out answers to that. So it doesn't have to be exotic. Maybe you come from um, a third generation Essendon supporter. That's me. <laughs> or you are, your family, you come from a family of eight or you used to go to the beach every Sunday. So there's a, there are all these questions that tend to draw out your history and heritage. So I would say start to collect all your personal personal stories. My second tip is start small. Start where you're at today. Start to put out a word that feels like you, you know, that you want to start to claim and see how it goes because it'll evolve through iteration. Carolyn Tate, who's also an example in the book, her X Factor statement, and I've given you, given in the book, I've got a couple of iterations of this. So she didn't bang. None of these appeared fully formed with my clients, mm. uh, Alison. We worked through a process, and what I'm presenting you is the final piece of mm-hmm. gold. So please know that there's this whole, you know, uh, work that went behind it, and a lot of, you know, thought and consideration and crafting. So Carolyn Tate's uh, statement is: X banker turned purpose pioneer and river swimming activist. Now, as soon as people hear that, they light up. Mm. They're so curious. They want to know, what is this river swimming? And she swims in the Yarra River in Melbourne every morning. And people always have three questions. Is it clean? Is it safe? Is it cold? Mm. Yes, yes, yes. The water is always cold in Melbourne, people. (laughs) And she finds her statement sparks curiosity. It sparks a deep connection. People never forget they met a river swimmer. They talk about it for weeks, for months after. And quite often she finds it sparks change. She finds people want to join her river swimming community. So just start small, start where you're at today. Put put something out and see how you go. And remember grace, always be kind to mm, yourself. I think um, part of that grace is the... We so underplay our own stories and celebrate others. We almost go, yes, that's me, but, you know, that was nothing. Or, yes, I grew up on a llama farm, but, you know, it didn't everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We underplay. Uh, We can dismiss. Mm. We can be dismissive of our own. What helps build confidence around the uniqueness of your own story? I think road testing it with other people. Because we always want validation. We always want to know this works. I remember hearing Oprah Winfrey say that no matter whom she interviewed on a show, could be like, you know, the president, like President Obama, could be a best-selling author, could be like a really world-famous personality. As soon as the interview finished, they would turn to Oprah and they'd go, was that okay? Did I do okay? And it really struck her that, you know, even people who are so successful in conventional terms seek that that validation. So for me, I'd say trust, uh, just road test what you have with someone whom you can trust, you know, a partner, a friend, a colleague, who can just give you some very gentle love and feedback. I talk about this idea of love bombs. Uh, tell them, what, you know, we tell people one thing we loved about their X Factor, uh, because I feel love helps people learn. It sounds woo-woo, but, you know, the research is also really well established. So I think grace and give yourself, create some space to explore. Space to explore things like your hobbies, your heritage, your interesting facts. Interesting facts are nerdy bits. And this is where I find so many of my clients hit gold. If you were a contestant on Hard Quiz, so some of you might know Hard Quiz, contestants come on and they nerd out on like a niche subject. Streaky Bacon, the Toy Story films, mid-century furniture. 
if you were going to be on hard quiz, what would your nerd subject be? So this is giving you permission to own all of that, to own your nerdy bits, to own, you know, your history and heritage, to put it out there in the world, I think, Alison, particularly now, we're craving. We're craving authenticity, we're craving provenance, we're craving deeper, richer connection. And this will help you gently do all that. Yamini, what's your vision behind wanting to encourage people to step into their own X Factor? It really breaks my heart when people tell me, oh, I don't have an X Factor or I'm not a good presenter. So my vision is I'm on a quest to help everybody discover their X Factor and put it out in the world. As everyone knows, we've been through a massive pandemic. And the other day I was thinking, what if we went through a pandemic that was about love, compassion, um, and growth, which is what X Factor is about. So imagine if we reversed that through through our actions. So instead of having, you know, road rage and all these ugly meltdowns you see on Facebook, imagine if we had um, compassion moments or we had, you know, whatever the see I see my brain is still trying to figure out what the opposite of that mm. would look like where we our retail uh, our retail staff are actually honored instead of being you know yelled at or whatever imagine what that would look like so I'm really on a quest to help everyone find their x-factor and put it out in the world because I think it makes us happier as human beings we feel validated we feel honored and in turn we can honor and respect everybody else beautiful conversation uh, great encouragement how can people connect with you Yamini Oh, thank you, Alison. Just on LinkedIn or via my website. Uh, both of those are great. I'm trying to get good at Instagram. Hopefully that will put those links up as well and hopefully we connect. I um, want to come with a final question for this podcast. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? It means I live a life where I'm deeply connected to my community, to my family and to my work. So that for me would be a standout life. Thank you so much, Yamini. Thank you so much, Alison. What a joy to speak with you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then let's keep the conversation going. The main place that I hang out is on Instagram at Ali Hill, A-L-I-H-I-L-L. One of the ways you can continue to support me and the team behind the podcast is if you could take two minutes just to rate and review Standout Life Podcast on whatever platform you are listening to. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes come out. And if this conversation is one that you know that someone in your world would get a huge amount of value out of, then please share it with them or maybe share it on your socials. Once again, thanks so much for tuning in, for your ongoing support and for joining me in exploring what does it really take. As always, this is Standout Life Podcast and I'm Ali Hill.